0: You ever had a bad day? I mean a bad day when it is just not going well. And usually what makes bad days worse is if you're doing something for somebody else. you got good intentions and it doesn't work. Let me give you an example. sky guy writes, When I got home, I found that my father's brick silo had been struck by lightning, knocking some of the bricks off at the top. I decided to fix the silo, and so I rigged up a beam with a pulley and a whip at the top of the silo and hoisted a couple of barrels full of bricks to the top. And when I got through fixing the silo, there were a lot of bricks left over. I hoisted the barrel back up again and secured the line at the bottom, then went up and filled the barrel with extra bricks. Then I went down to the bottom and cast off the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was heavier than I was, and before I knew what was happening, the barrel started down and jerked me off the ground. I decided to hang on, and halfway up, I met the barrel coming down and received a severe blow on the shoulder. I then continued on up to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my fingers jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground, it busted the bottom, allowing all the bricks to spill out. I was now heavier than the barrel, and so started down again at a high speed. Halfway down, I again met the barrel and received several injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the bricks, getting numerous painful cuts from the sharp edges. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of the rope. The barrel then came down, struck me another heavy blow on the head, putting me in the hospital for three days. Had a bad day? Maybe not that bad. This morning, I'd like us to consider some guys that at least initially had a bad day. So I would invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 we're going to look at the first 14 verses and can I encourage you to make sure that you bring your Bible when you come to worship or at least a device that you can refer to there is something about when we see the word of God in front of us that allows it to penetrate in our lives even more it's easy even to get out of the habit of not bringing a Bible. Because we've got it on a device. And if that works for you, fine. But at least with a device, or at least with your Bible, you can mark it up. You can highlight it. You can do whatever you want. And I believe that helps it come even more true to what God would have us. So hear the word of God this morning. This is out of the NIV. A very familiar passage, and we're only doing part of it. But in John chapter 21, beginning in the first verse, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It also happened this way. "'No,' they answered. "'He said, "'Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some.' "'And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. "'Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, "'It's the Lord.' "'And as soon as Peter heard him say, "'It is the Lord,' he wrapped his outer garment around him, "'for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. "'The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish.' For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, a hundred and fifty. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. We come to this passage in John. It's the end of John's gospel. And interesting, this account that we just read is the only gospel that it's recorded. And John was there to give it to us firsthand. But let's think about for a minute the disciples. In spite of, and if you would read earlier in chapter 20, Jesus appeared twice after the resurrection, the disciples are still dazed. They're still working things through in their hearts and minds. And I think we can understand that they're aimless. They're confused. These events had left them overwhelmed, shaken and stirred, understandably baffled. Fishing reveals their uncertainty. These are frustrating fishermen, and they don't know what to do next, so they do what they know best, and they fish. And they go fishing out of boredom, out of confusion, and probably out of financial need. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? Now, as you look at the passages, there are a couple of questions that we don't can't fully answer. How did they get to Galilee from Jerusalem? Why did they go there? Could it be that was the first encounter they ever had with Jesus? Maybe. And after all, we don't even know all the disciples who were present and who weren't. We got about five out of seven, then we got two unnamed ones, and then you want to go, well, where are the other four? So John's a little sketchy on the detail, but he's got us to a place where he wants us to understand what's taking place. And for the moments we have this morning, I'd like you to grid your thinking and looking through this passage through what I would call as a prop. That's the net, the fishing net. And let's use it as a grid to fish out the meaning or some of the meaning of the passage. First thought I want to give you is this. Verses 1 to 3. Nothing but net. Nothing but net. Now, if you're a basketball person, that means a whole lot of difference to you than what a fishing person means. Verses 1 to 3. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Nothing but net. Now it's significant that Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Why not? What else? And we would expect nothing less from the typical, assertive, impulsive guy we know as Peter. But also it's interesting that the remaining six said, we'll go with you. Which could indicate their boredom and their frustration. And also reveals the continued leadership of Peter. And you go, well, What's so significant about that? Well, I think it's noteworthy in light of what it all had happened to Peter. And yet, he still led, and they equally still chose to follow him. And they knew pretty much exactly what had happened in Peter's life before. And you go, well, but Peter's the natural leader. Everybody would follow him. No, not really. How about when we all criticize Peter for beginning to walk on the water and failing? Nobody else got out of the boat with him. How about when Jesus is arrested in the garden and Peter draws his sword and takes off the ear of the temple guard? Nobody else followed and fought. Well, and later we read in the passage, how come when they recognize it was Jesus, it's only Peter who jumps out into the water? And how about at the end of the passage here, it's only Peter who goes and retrieves the net and the fish? Kind of gives us a couple thoughts. Be very, very cautious when and where you lead. Be very cautious when and where you lead. Before you lead, make sure you're led. Before you lead, make sure you're led. Sometimes some of us that get impulsive and get impatient, we're gone. Let's go. Let's do. But we have no idea, perhaps, of what God wants to do. So be very careful and cautious when and where you lead, and also be equally concerned regarding who you choose to follow. Just because somebody speaks well, just because somebody's got an engaging personality, just because everybody else is following, doesn't mean God wants you to follow. Do not let other people think for you. And our media is a prime example. If you don't choose to think for yourself, then they will tell you what you should eat and what you should drink and what you should buy and what you should drive. And they're going to begin to think for you. Be very concerned about who you choose to follow. Back to our disciples of seven. So they return to the same old habits back to when they were called fishers of men. They return to what they know, and they return back to the Sea of Galilee. That's familiar. But note one of the things that John records. And so when they go, and he said, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said, and we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat. Didn't say a boat. They got into the boat. I think John's making a real point here of saying they knew not only what to do, but we're going to make it so familiar, I would guess, that they got into Peter's boat. They just pick one. They weren't randomly going. They were going to do everything that was familiar to them. And so they go back, and they go back to Peter's boat, the boat. And the result, they caught nothing. And we know with the disciples and the stories we know from Scripture, not the first time that had happened either. Nothing but net. Remember, it's the great theologian, Luther Vandross, who said, if you always do what you've always done, you always get the same old stuff. A lot of wisdom there. If you always do what you've always done, you always get the same old stuff. And if you think these seven guys were frustrated before starting fishing, let me tell you, that level just went up because now they got the square root of squat. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing but net. Businessmen struggling at their profession. This is what we do best. And they begin to not only doubt their abilities, they doubt doubt themselves as well. I'm convinced that God often chooses not to bless us when we choose the time, the place, the ministry, and or the direction. See, all of a sudden, we take charge. Well, it seems good. It seems right. It seems logical. I'd take you back to 1 Chronicles uh, 17 and 22 when David decides he's going to build the temple. This is the thing to do. God, I'm going to honor you. And God says, whoa, David, not so fast. That's not your role. It's for Solomon. Be very careful of running ahead of God. Be very careful of... Basically, wanting God to put his stamp of approval on your will. And it might be good. It might be logical. It might follow steps. But be very careful that you're not running ahead of him. Be careful of returning to the familiar ways, the good old days. Well, why? Well, we've always done it that way before. Be careful. Be careful of hoarding the past as recent as yesterday, i.e. when the nation of Israel was to go to collect manna. Do something new. God is always longing to do new things. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I'm um, making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wilderness. Making a stream, making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wilderness. God's doing new things. And somehow we get intimidated when God does new. We like things new. We like the smell of new. We like wearing things new. But when God th- wants to do things new, we step back. Oh God, we this is the way we've always done it in our group, in our church, or our Bible study, whatever going back to our old ways what we know best or feel the most comfortable takes far less faith if any at all what God wants to build in you and what God wants to build in me is do you trust me do you trust me or are you relying on just the same old stuff the same old things that we did before see when we go back to that it takes less faith God wants to stretch us God wants to move us in different ways. Think about Jesus when John records in chapter 15 of John, apart from me, you can do nothing. How many times do we try to help God out? Instead of just saying, all right, God, what do you want? What is it you want to know? How can we serve? One commentator said, how often does Jesus need to redirect our efforts by telling us to cast on the other side of the boat? We try to do things our way with our familiar patterns that give us comfort and little need of faith. The more I am stubborn in doing things my way, the more likely my nets come up empty. Whether our nets are empty or overflowing, here's to us choosing to trust Him like we've never trusted Him before. Hey, We just sang this morning, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. First start with our disciples and the net, nothing but net. Secondly, net work. Verses four to six. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, "Friends, haven't you any fish?" No," they answered. He said, "Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some." And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So we walked through this scene with the disciples. Time's changed. It's now gone from evening to early morning. And Jesus wasn't recognized by them, even though they had encountered him at least twice since the resurrection. Why? I would say one of the reasons was was unexpected. They weren't looking for him. How often do you think Jesus goes unnoticed in our lives because we're not looking for him? Or we don't want him in this area? So therefore, Jesus goes unnoticed. Our lack of anticipation to look for and to seek him. Let's be honest. How many of us this morning, when we walk through those doors, we're looking for Jesus? So easy, isn't it? We come here every week. We kind of pretty much sit in the same place and we kind of go through the same thing and we talk to the same people. But have we worshipped? Have we looked for him? For those of us who are old enough to remember when some of the praise songs started out, one of the early ones was, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Do we? Do we want to see him? Do we really want to see him? And do we want to be seen by him? See, it's one thing to say It's another thing to do it. Are we looking for Jesus? One of my favorite stories is of a commuter. He parks his car and he's in a hurry to catch the train to get into the city for work. And he's concerned because he's running late. And so as he comes down the steps and looks to the platform, he's relieved that his train hasn't left yet. And so in those last steps across the platform, he's got his briefcase and he's picked up his pace and he's swinging that briefcase. Then all of a sudden he stops because he feels like his briefcase has struck an object. It surprises him enough to stop, and as he does, he turns and looks and realizes what he has done is struck a box held by a little boy. Now the box contained a jigsaw puzzle. And now, all of a sudden, the top has come open, and the pieces have now all kind of scattered all along the floor of the platform. And the commuter looks at the boy, who's stunned. He looks at his train. He looks back at the boy and then he watches as his train pulls out and he goes over and he bends down and he begins to help the little boy pick up the pieces. And there's an awkward moment there. Nobody saying anything. Finally, it's the little boy who breaks the silence and he looks at him and he said, Mister, are you Jesus? Are we looking for Jesus? Are we looking for him in ways of our life? Or do we just want to box him in on Sunday for a few hours? This unknown Jesus asked them, the disciples, what's the result of their catch? So now, the guys are frustrated to begin with. They don't know what to do. They go fishing because it's the only thing they know what to do. They catch nothing. And now we got some stranger asking me, what do you got? And we got Nothing but that. You're frustrated before, you're really frustrated now. Now you've got to tell other people that you don't have it. Increase to their frustration, haven't admitted publicly. However, please don't misinterpret that to think that it's the nature of Jesus to punish these guys any more than you would think later on in this passage when Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Is he referring to Peter, you denied me three times and I'm rubbing your nose in it. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't shame us. So what is he doing? He's furthering their need and our need of him totally, not simply conveniently. Totally, not simply conveniently. You know, where we just kind of fit Jesus in and are already established in the fine life. Let's just let Jesus squeeze in the, the cracks. Jesus focuses on conviction, and you and I are more looking for convenience. Just I like it the way it is, Lord. But what are your convictions? What are the non-negotiables in your life? Somebody, and I wish I could track it down who said this, but somebody said, beliefs are what a person holds, convictions are what holds a person. Beliefs are what a person holds, but convictions are what holds a person. What are your convictions? What are your non-negotiables? What is it, no matter what, you've drawn the line and say, I'm not cross on that. I hope the first one is that you believe this is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And it does not change. Because if you don't have this, you will fall for anything. This is it. And with this, understand that there are people who will pull things out of context. And you can prove anything you want from the Bible if you pull enough stuff out of context. So not only do we have to believe it, but we got to know it so that we know when it's being misused. But this has got to be your conviction. If this isn't your non-negotiable, everything else is just going to be Whatever beliefs, what a person holds, convictions, what holds a person. And so, this unknown who we know is Jesus offers counsel to a group of frustrated fishermen. In verse six, says, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. Now, for me, as I look at that passage, the key is not the counsel. But their response, even though they don't even know it's Jesus, it says, this guy tells them to throw their net on the other side, and then it says, when they did. See, that's always the key. That's always the key in your life and mine. They could have blown this guy off. They could have ignored the suggestion. And even though they don't even know it's Jesus yet, they still choose to obey, which is a great principle. Obedience, just like disobedience, is always a choice. We might not like it, but that's what it is. You and I choose to be obedient, and we choose to be disobedient. And when it comes to disobedience, we got an armful of excuses why we were. And none of them was our choice. The environment, the people around, whatever it is, obedience as always, disobedience is always a choice. And we get to make it. We need to be ready to cast our net at any time or any place. Even cast our net, when we don't see any fish. Just willing to trust him. What's it say? Verse 6, it was a large haul in the net. The net was stretched to its limits, but it didn't break. I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, obeying him will stretch you farther than you want or can handle. He longs to push us further. He longs to prod us further. When you and I want convenience, we want comfort. He wants commitment. He wants conviction. Serving him will take effort and energy to make your net work. Always has, always will. There is no cruise control or spectators. Paul, in writing that great book of 1 Corinthians and he gets to chapter 15, writes all about the resurrection. At the very end he writes this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Always give yourselves to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Give yourselves, give your thoughts, Give our efforts, give our energy, give our time, give our desires. Why? Because we do it for Him, and even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't see results, even when it doesn't come out the way we want it to, we do it anyway. Always give yourselves to the work of the Lord. Nothing but net. Network. Thirdly, verses seven to nine net worth. Then the the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they had landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. Immediately, Once the net is full of fish, John recognizes it's Jesus. Not by his voice, not by his stature, by what happened. You know what it is? You know what we call it today? It's a God thing. It's what happened. It's a God thing, and John recognized it. See, to you and I, we need to be astute. That we don't miss those God things. But you know what's even better? John says, it's the Lord. And the next thing we read... As soon as, as soon as, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wraps it out of garment, he's gone. He's in the water. John was the first to recognize Jesus. Peter was the first to respond. And he couldn't get there soon enough. I mean, think about it. They're telling us it's only 100 yards away. It's the length of a football field. But Peter couldn't wait. In spite of, there's still fishing responsibilities. There's still things to do. And guess who initiated that? You, Peter, couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. Nothing compared with being with Jesus. Which sounds great until you peel that back for a minute. Wait, Peter? Peter? Now, yeah, he was with the disciples when... The resurrected Christ appeared two times, I said, in John chapter 20. But Peter, the last time he was kind of with Jesus in a small group, he fell asleep more than once, even though Jesus said, wake up. Peter, he was reprimanded for cutting the guard's ear off. Peter, he denied Jesus and cursed the others around him. In the span of a few hours, this guy who was now dripping wet, not long ago, was dripping in guilt. And he gets out of the boat first? He wants to be there for Jesus before anybody else? Think about it. If that was you, and even though you were in the group when Jesus appeared, when you find out it's Jesus on the shore, I think you and I are like, Oh, I'll take care of the boat. Let everybody else go see Jesus first. But that's not Jesus. That's not Peter. So then... What happened that only Peter, again, went overboard with his enthusiasm to be with Jesus? In the midst of his shame, and of his embarrassment, and his guilt? I'll tell you what happened. Forgiveness. The net worth of all of us. Well, how do I know that happened? Back to 1 Corinthians 15. The beginning of the passage, Paul writes... For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures. Now read this next. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. You know what that's telling me? Sometime, someplace after the resurrected Jesus came about, he and Jesus had a face-to-face. This is the original come to Jesus moment right here. And this is just Peter and Jesus. Nobody else. And so it's with that assurance of forgiveness he goes off. Peter often went overboard with his passion, didn't he? Lord, how many times do we forgive each people? Seventy times? Seven? You know what I mean? Seven times, Lord? What do we do? Oh, Lord, I'll never deny you. Lord, You no, don't wash my feet. you got to wash everything. And, and you know what, Jesus? You're taking this a bit serious about your death where Jesus even had to rebuke him and say, get behind me. And yet, but now, there's nothing more important, including fishing, to Peter than Jesus. Peter can't wait to get close to him. Again, in a relatively short distance. Peter was forgiven totally and completely by the only one who could. He was free from his past in that disastrous night. And so too are you and I forgiven and forgiven completely. Completely. Some of you are going, but you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. No, I don't. Don't need to. But he does. And he chooses to forgive you. Well, that's not right. I don't deserve it. It's not fair. True to all that. But he chooses to forgive you. He does. And he chooses you to forgive. One of my favorite stories is of Harry Houdini. Houdini, the great magician and illusionist he was his own marketer and so when he would go to a town for a show he'd show up about three or four days early and he would put up the posters and interact with people but one of the bits one of the gigs that he did was he said there was no prison cell that could hold him and they would lock and put him in a cell and leave the room and next thing you know Houdini comes out and appears he's escaped and that course drew more people and more people would come and so the story's told that one day he goes to this small town, he goes to the whole bit, they put him in the cell, they leave, Houdini starts pulling the, you know, the things to pick locks with and so forth, and it doesn't click. And so we try something else, and it doesn't click. And now he goes to the other sleeve, and he pulls something out, and it doesn't click. He's taking the jacket off, I mean, he's sweating profusely. This has never happened before. What's going on? I mean, the longer he worked, the more embarrassed, the more frustrated, the more sweating he gets. Finally, in total exhaustion and frustration, he kind of collapses against the cell door and falls to the bottom of the cell. And when he does, the door swings open because it never had been locked. Stop locking yourself by not forgiving yourself. He forgives you, and if He forgives you, you can forgive yourself. Too many of us are imprisoning ourselves in cells that He never designed for us. And Peter's the perfect example. He forgives us. Your net worth and mine is forgiveness by the only one who can. So the disciples upon arrive on shore, and they find a meal prepared They're hungry and they're tired from this futile night of fishing and Jesus again meets their needs, doesn't it? He knew what and when. Jesus always knows our needs. He desires to meet all of our needs if we choose to come to Him. We don't always know what we need. And you know what? We don't always like what and always don't even know what we need. We don't Know what we need, and we always don't want what we need. Oh, we know what we want, we know what we like, but Jesus knows what we need. Net worth, all of our needs are met in him, including the greatest one of forgiveness. Nothing but net, net, work, net worth, finally net result. Verses 10 to 14. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? And they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and they did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've caught, which was really his catch. did not a thought cross your mind? If Jesus had fish cooking, couldn't he have supplied it all? Couldn't he have had enough fish for these guys? That he didn't need to send them out? Of course. But he chose to use them and what they had. You know what's staggering, brothers and sisters in Christ of Gulf Coast? Still today, he chooses to use you, but he doesn't need you. He chooses to use you, he chooses to use me, but he doesn't need me. That's what happens here. It's an act of grace, of God, of the universe, to use us. When you're a seminary student, after you get into seminary a couple years, you begin to build some spiritual pride. And by the time you graduate, you might not say this verbally, but you're ready to say, I am God's gift to the American church. Just hire me. Seminary prof has this one day, and all of a sudden he's teaching an upperclassman, and the guy raises his hand and says, prof, I got a question for you. He says, yeah, what is it? He said, why did Jesus choose Judas? The prophet looks at him and says, well, i got a couple answers for that, but i got a better question. He said, what's that? He said, why did Jesus choose you? Why did he choose us? Why did, were we picked? You ever been in a game and you didn't get selected? The God of the universe chose you. You, he knows by name. You, he knows the number of hairs on your head. You, he knows by voice. He chose you. And he allows us to contribute and make an impact on eternity. golly what a privilege at the command of jesus peter again goes fetch the fish he climbs aboard drags the net ashore that whole thing of 153 is very intriguing why the number some people would say at that point in time in the world that was the number of varieties of fish known in the world so maybe that was the whole idea that you'd be fishers of men maybe it was just simply a fisherman recording his catch but jesus has got it there and in the midst of peter bringing in the net didn't break. Like before in Luke 5, when they first encountered Jesus. He caused Peter to fall on his knees and he says, Go away from me, I'm a sinful man. These unbroken nets are because of the result of the power of a resurrection. His power keeps us breaking when we think we will break. When we can't take it any longer, we can't go any further. He's there to hold us up. We sang, Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed and you won't start now. Either he's watching or he will watch. But if you remember a couple weeks ago, Jerry told us, and the whole concept at the beginning of a message about go the distance, he said, and I quote because I looked it back up and listened to it, Rocky, one of the greatest movies ever made for, for the record. Someday we're going to sit with Jerry and talk about his movie taste. <laughs> However, if you were going to go to a movie and you were going to say, and the movie, go the distance, it's naturally Field of Dreams, not Rocky. <laughs> we'll talk, Jerry. <laughs> Our unbroken net allows us to go the distance, to finish strong. And let me give you just a couple of thoughts as we wrap up. If you want to finish strong, you want to go the distance. Number one, prep yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Be ready for new. Secondly, pace yourself. Hebrews 12.1-3 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Keep on, keep pressing on. So you prep yourself, you pace yourself, you purpose yourself. Philippians 3. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And finally, protect yourself. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you read. Be careful who you hang around with. This resurrected Jesus who cooked fish along a seashore because of an empty tomb, he is worthy. So we become a net worth. And dying for, so we become a net worth dying for regardless. And the net result? Eternity. Eternity. We are not in the land of the living. We are going to the land of the living as we are here now in the land of the dying. He loves us. And I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours you are mine let's pray father thank you this morning for nets thank you that you make our net worth because you forgive us and you restore us and you choose to use us in spite of us thank you for the glory that's ours because of you and we commit this and ourselves to you in the name of jesus in him alone amen